I don't ever want someone to listen to this podcast or listen to anything about sleep training and feel like they have to sleep train. Like, no, you don't have to, if you don't want to, if it doesn't feel right to you, that's absolutely okay. It's an option for people that want to, but I also find that on the other side of the coin, people feel that have zero desire to sleep train, feel such pressure because if they heaven forbid, decide to complain about the lack of sleep that they got. The answer that they hear is, well, you should sleep train. No, you should do whatever feels right for your family. You're listening to Breaking the Ice, a podcast and community created for wives and girlfriends of professional hockey players, but since has turned into so much more. Stories shared by women around the globe who come together for a sense of connection and community. You may be in the sports industry, a hockey parent, an athlete, or a person who just enjoys podcasts, but I can promise you, you'll be inspired by these women every single day while we evolve through the tips, tricks, do's, and don'ts for all things hockey. And guess what? So much more. For women, by women, but especially for a hockey community. So lace them up and tune in for a new episode every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Hello, you guys. Welcome back to the pod. I am starting to get ready to head back to Austria. I have a wedding this weekend and then it is freaking game time. I feel like it's finally hitting me that I'm leaving. And like today or actually last night, I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to write things down. This is too much is living in my head. And I feel like I'm just like going on a shopping frenzy because I feel like I need everything in the world. So I just need to take a deep breath and know that everything's going to work out. But we finally head over there on the 20th and I'm actually really excited to go, but just as all of you praying for a normal season and praying that there's not going to be any lockdowns with this new variant. So let's just manifest that into the atmosphere and hope that all goes well. I'm kind of just going to dive into our topic today. Before I say anything, because I feel like I have to say it, I'm going to be totally honest. First of all, I'm going to tell you I already recorded this intro and deleted it. And second of all, I feel like I was really trying to choose my words carefully and like justify certain things throughout this episode because I know that sleep training can be a really controversial topic. However, I do feel that each family should feel empowered to make the decision about how they handle their child's sleep for themselves. I feel like there is three sides of the spectrum here. People that really believe in sleep training, people that are kind of in the middle, they could go either way, or people that are super anti. Whatever your feeling is about this topic, there is zero judgment within this podcast. And as you listen to this, I share about my sleep training journey because I worked with Autumn firsthand and Autumn is a sleep consultant. So I kind of, we kind of go over like certain things that worked for me and like what I liked about her business and like her and how she handles sleep training and her consultations. And we just kind of go through that and talk about it. So 
When I am talking about sleep training in this episode, I want you to know that I'm sharing my personal experience and my personal experience is my personal experience, right? So when I make statements in this episode, I am not generalizing that this is how you should feel, how things are. My family made the decision to do sleep training because we are better parents when we are well-rested. And something that we talk about in the episode is that sleep training, a lot of people have the misconception that sleep training is like you put a baby in the room and just like let them scream. And that's just simply not true. Within the sleep plan that Autumn created for me, I feed my son once a night, sometimes twice a night. I go in there when he's crying and I a lot of times listen to my intuition of what I need to do. So even though I worked with her and she created a plan, like if I felt like I needed to go in there and like change his diaper or pick him up, I have every right to do so as his mom. And she would never, ever encourage me to not do something like that. So she has been super supportive through the through this entire process. And this episode is not an episode where we're tr- trying to convince you to sleep train This will be a really informative episode for other moms who might be needing some support with sleep. I will share that when I have shared about sleep training on my Instagram, which I kind of stopped doing, honestly, is because I started getting some messages back to me if I was saying that I was frustrated or I was feeling sad and just needed words of encouragement. I know people meant well by it, but it just it made it harder for me was like, I don't know, a little bit like passive aggressive comments about how like I should make sure that I'm like supporting, making him feel like safe and comforted. And I don't know, it just like it just didn't like feel well to me. Like I started feeling like really guilty and like kind of like shame when I was reading those messages. And again, I will just reiterate that like I am not forced into this. And I know that some people do feel like I have to sleep train because that's what everyone tells me I have to do, even though I don't want to do it. As you listen to in the intro, Autumn makes it very clear that like, if that does not align with you, you absolutely do not have to do that. And neither of us want to send that message that that's what you're doing. But again, I will say that this, this is my podcast and this is, you know, like something that I was living and like I went through it and I have like sharing this side of it. I made the personal choice. I did not get like pinned up against the wall to do a sleep training like I wanted to. And I will say that, you know, his sleep has improved a lot. Like it's gotten a lot better. It's still not perfect, but I wasn't looking for perfect. I was just looking for better because I could not handle the five to seven wake ups a night. And now we're down to one or two, which I'm okay with. Honestly, like (laughs) that feels amazing to me at this point. So when you're listening today, just keep an open mind. Just know that these are not generalized statements if or what's right or wrong. And Autumn is super sweet. She's very knowledgeable about this topic. And if you want to reach out to her, she is on Instagram. Her business name is Rest, Grow, Thrive. She also has a website and she does offer discounts to hockey families. So enjoy this episode.
This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. For those that have listened to episodes in the past, you know that BetterHelp has come up several times from some of my guests. Living the lifestyle that we do, it is so beyond important to talk about our feelings. And I think that it would be very valuable to have like a third party listening ear to offer advice and insight into our lifestyle and situations. I think something for me that has kind of delayed my start into getting into therapy is that half of the year I'm living in a different country. So the coolest part about BetterHelp is it's customized online therapy and they offer video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't even have to see them on camera if you don't want to. And it's way more affordable than going to in-person therapy and you can start communicating with someone in less than 48 hours. So I'm excited to try out BetterHelp this hockey season. I think that people can only benefit from going to therapy and it probably can only improve the kind of experience you're going to have during the season. So if you're interested in signing up for BetterHelp, you can head to betterhelp.com forward slash breaking the ice. Thank you again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. So something that you and I and so many other people can agree on is that sleep is important. And when you have a baby, it's obviously expected that you are not going to get the sleep that you normally used to get. And usually when people want to make these changes and they need extra support, that's when they reach out to you. So obviously I've talked about how we're working together to help Crosby sleep. And I'd really love to start off just talking about how you started on your journey as a sleep coach. Yeah. It was my first child that kickstarted this journey for me. I am slightly obsessed with sleep. Like I love sleep. I think it's so important for us. There's so much evidence that shows how important sleep is for our mood, our memory, our health, our immune system. Like it is, it's really important. And I was like any new parent, like anxious about the lack of sleep to come. And you hear everybody say, sleep now because you never will again. And I was really nervous about it, but I was also like, really? Like, is that how it has to be? Um, So I did (laughs) quite a bit of reading before having my daughter, Isabella, about sleep and how to try to optimize sleep and all that stuff. And we got off to like a pretty, pretty decent start, like typical newborn haze, but things were starting to improve. She was taking some longer stretches overnight. And then we got hit with the, that four month sleep regression. Now I like to call it a progression, but um, Mm -hmm. at the time it felt like a really, really difficult time. Um, She started waking up multiple, multiple times a night. She started reverse cycling where she was taking more calories in at night than she was during the day. She, oh gosh, it was long ago now, but um, (laughs) every, like it felt like everything that we were doing at the time I had been like rocking her to sleep and I would place her down like she was a bomb and sneak out of the room, but (laughs) it was working. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, it was okay. Like she was sleeping well enough that I felt like I could handle day-to-day life with a new baby, um, especially for like most of us hockey people um, without family support around for most of the year. And then all of a sudden the things that worked didn't like rocking her to sleep, like was taking so much longer and I'd put her down and those eyes would pop right back open and we'd have to 
either nurse or rocker all throughout the night. So that's when I started doing more research into sleep training and, and we, we sleep trained her for her. It was, it was actually quite simple. And I'm learning more about this as I work with different families um, about how much temperament is involved. And she was temperamentally like an easier laid back baby, but she took to it so well. We, it wasn't something like crazy, like, oh, I want her to sleep all night. Um, No, we still like, I fed her when she cried in the night. Um, I fed her, I think it was about twice a night at that time. And then eventually she dropped those feeds on her own. Um, And it was just, it was life-changing for me. I struggled a little bit with some postpartum, not diagnosed, but I was really having her really rocked me. It changed our life. And with not having the family support, I, it was, I had a really hard time with it, knowing that it all fell on my shoulders. And I saw my husband's life, like really change very little, um, being a nursing mom. Once I started sleeping and she started sleeping better and eventually it translated into like better naps and more predictability to our day, like we were better and I was happier. I was healthier. The, my relationship with my baby, I felt like it improved because I, there were parts of me that was like feeling resentful towards my husband towards her, like, and I had so much shame about these feelings for so long. And now I'm recognizing how normal these feelings are and Mm -hmm. how so many women experience them. Um, But yeah, for us going down the path of like working on establishing different sleep habits um, was, was really helpful. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think there's such an invisible load of motherhood. And it's a lot of the times we don't see that and we don't, we're not really prepared for that, you know, when we go into motherhood. So thank you for sharing that experience. And I think, you know, it does change your relationship with your spouse as well. And having limited sleep on top of that, as we all know, can (laughs) cause, you know, feelings of frustration and irritation and all of those things. I'm curious, like, what did you have to do to become a sleep coach? Yeah, so I am certified through the Family Sleep Institute. It was about a, well, it was in total about eight to nine months. Um, We had four months of weekly coursework, um, homework, lots of um, reviewing studies, reviewing case studies that our instructors had worked with other families and we got to kind of dive into different case studies. We got to look at so many different parts of baby sleep, the science of baby sleep, um, timing, routines, environment, and then into the sleep training approaches. I am also qualified to work with older kids. So there was a lot of behavioral um, techniques and behavioral strategies that that we learn that we get to apply with toddlers and preschoolers, um, which is really fun. Okay. That's amazing. So what, and I know you and I have kind of talked about this on the side, but like, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you hear that people think about sleep training? Yeah. I mean, I think a big one is thinking that sleep training is just 
closing the door and not returning till morning. And I mean, I'm sure that's how people have attempted to sleep train, but that's not how any sleep consultant would encourage sleep training to be done. We want to look at the whole sleep picture in a holistic way. We want to look at everything that's going on. We want to rule out any medical issues that could lead to interrupted sleep. Um, We want to make sure that the optimal conditions are in place for your child to sleep well. Um, There's so much that affects sleep overnight. Unfortunately, I wish it were easier, which is why it tends to be a huge struggle. I think that the biggest misconception is just that people think of sleep training as solely the method that's used to sleep train. Um, And even with that, there are like not a ton of different methods, but there's different ways that you can apply them to different children. Um, Some being super direct and some being really gradual, like just replacing nursing as the sleepy sleep association that the mom is wanting to change to rocking to start, or like, it doesn't have to be a super abrupt we put the child down and we let them figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you can, it's based on parenting styles, child temperament, um, whether people want to, yeah, like stay in the room while their child is learning this new way of falling asleep because sleep, the way you fall asleep, there's no good or bad way to fall asleep. It's just our children become, they, they learn the, the different ways that they know how to fall asleep, whether that's through nursing or rocking or completely independently. And there, there is no good or bad. They're just simply habits. And part of sleep training is shifting habits and, and shifting patterns to help the child sleep in a more independent way, if that's what the parent's goal is. It's possible. I mean, it's very possible that people have these opinions because they look at doing this by themselves, which is fine. And I'm saying that based on my own experience, right? I remember we connected when Crosby was like four, four and a half months old. And I, we flew back from Austria. I was super just like at my wits end because he was waking up so many times and to preface this, like, I don't know what happened, but from two to three and a half months, he was sleeping 11 hours straight a night. So here I am thinking, I'm never going to have to do this. Like, this is so awesome. He's sleeping so great. We fly home, we hit the four month sleep regression. And I'm just like, he's still in our bedroom and we were not sleeping well. And so I kind of just like woke up and was like, we're sleep training tonight. And I went on my computer. I read about it. I tried to figure out how to do it myself. And I think that there's certain sleep training methods that particular people do. Like there's some sleep coaches that stick to just one method and that's how they teach. But what I really love about your business is that it's like shaped per person and it's custom created because I think that's made me feel a lot more comfortable when working with you because it is kind of especially as your kid gets older, it it hurts your heart a little bit when you read these things online and you're like, Oh, like this is what this is. So it was nice to be able to like sit down with you for a consultation Mm -hmm. and like, have you just ask a bunch of questions of, you know, where he's at and what our routines are now. And it's also been super helpful just to have you like even just the past couple of days where we're like going back and forth and I'm like 
Hey, he just woke up at this time. When should he go down for bed? And even just your answer in itself, like maybe if I didn't have you, I would have thought, okay, well, I probably need to stretch this 30 minutes because that's what it says online. And that's what, you know, his wake window needs to be. And you told me I put him down and he like slept the better part of the night. So anyway, I just want to say thank you. Cause I really appreciate just the way that you formulate this because it takes the stress off of feeling like this pressure that you have to just stick him in a room and cry. Cause that's just not the truth. That's not really what you do at all. Yeah. Doing that. That's not a plan. That's um, it's just not a plan. It doesn't take a, into account the different the child, children aren't robots. They, um, they have different temperaments and they respond differently to different soothing mechanisms. Um, and it's just so important. Like, like you said, um, when you're, when you're doing it on your own and you're reading something online and you're like, Oh, well, I mean, online, it says that he should be able to stay awake for like two and a half hours. Like maybe I'll try when, when you and I have been working together and, and part of working together too, is, is keeping that sleep log so we can track those patterns and see how, how, um, each individual baby responds best to sleep. And when they, they, um, are sleeping at their best. Um, so we noticed that for him, it's a little bit different. Like he needed a little bit of a less, um, a smaller awake window. And, and that's, that's part of, um, why I love doing this is because it helps parents tune into their child instead of getting so locked into things that they're reading online. And I'm not saying that you can't be successful by doing things, by reading them online. Like you don't have to hire a sleep consultant. Like I don't want to send that message at all, but it absolutely can, can be helpful to, to just, um, have that, that extra eyes I didn't want to just keep saying, well, I'm going to do it at some point. I'm going to do it and then have it be to the point where I'm just like so irritated. And you hear so many things. You talk to so many other moms. Oh, try this, try this, try that. And it can kind of get in your head. And I know for sure for me, those wake windows were like, kind of put a lot of pressure on me. Like I could tell he was tired. He was fussy, but I'm like, no, no, no. He has to stay up for three hours, but it wasn't like there's no way he can last three hours. He's an absolute mess, but that's like the suggested wake window for his age. And when I put him down at two hours, he naps for two hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just interesting. Yeah. It's, it's helpful. It is helpful when you're tracking to kind of get zoned in on, on really seeing, yeah, when your baby naps best and it might be different than what you read online for sure. I know a lot of people listening will be able to relate to this too. And I know that my husband and I talked about this to you when we did our sleep consultation, but it's really hard sometimes because if, if we're planning on doing the sleep training in the summer, in the very back of our mind, we're like, okay, well, for those that play overseas, at least we're going to be going back overseas at the end of the summer. And it can be a little bit daunting to feel like, okay, we're going to put in this time and energy to do this. And then we're going to go get backtracked nine hours ahead or eight hours ahead, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. So what can we expect, I guess, and we'll just relate this to my situation and people can kind of take from it what they will, but what can Charlie and I expect with doing the sleep training now and then moving overseas in August and 
what are some ways, I guess we'll start with that. And then we'll talk about like the ways that we can get back to kind of where he is and where he'll be when we're kind of wrapping up the sleep training. Okay, but like, so what's, what does baby jet lag look like? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll start with that. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it, um, it varies from child to child, but I typically say that it takes about a week to adjust. Um, and this will still vary so much because it'll be dependent upon like your travel over there. If your child slept a lot on the airplane um, going over there, although it might not be that like great restorative sleep, the fact that they slept is going to help them when we're, when we're doing that travel overnight, which is what most of us are doing when we're, when we're going that direction. Um, And if they don't, I find it, it makes it a little bit more challenging um, because you're getting in during the morning hours and now they've had like next to no sleep overnight and you're just trying to get them back on that, the new schedule between the time change and the flight. Um, And it can be difficult. I've had a good experience doing two ways. For me personally, with my children, um, the the most successful way that we've had it is has been more of a gradual approach um, by allowing that schedule to still be a little bit more in the North American way, um, and then gradually like wake them up like an hour or an hour and a half earlier each morning and expose them to direct sunlight right away or to at least some natural light so it can start setting those circadian rhythms. But I've, and that's probably not a popular answer among sleep consultants because I find most people recommend um, just jumping right into the new time zone. But I found that when we've done that, Um, it's led to a lot of like wake ups overnight and kind of treating bedtime as a nap. And they might not be referring to a time change such as eight hours. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I've had a lot of luck with like, if you get like a decent stretch on the airplane to, to try to get like a couple, depending on the age of the child to, um, to get a nap in, Um, even if it's much later than normal. And then if you're putting like, if you're putting them to bed at 11 PM, because that's actually closer to what they're used to, like it might work out okay. And then just slowly shift it a little bit earlier each day. Um, You'll sometimes you'll have to like wake them in the morning because they'll want to sleep in. Um, But that can really help by kind of waking them a little bit earlier and then like I said, exposure to, to daylight right away between light and food, those things really help set our circadian rhythms. So that can be really helpful when, when making that trip abroad. Is there a time, like a best flight time to help with the sleep? Like, is it better Uh, to take a red eye or is it better to leave in the morning? I don't think we, I feel like we never get morning flights going to Europe. That's true. But that's like so child dependent um, and age dependent because I found that when, when my kids were between like 10 and two, they had like zero desire to fall asleep immediately on their airplane. They wouldn't fall asleep until like four hours in. So they'd have a four hour night of sleep and we get there at nine in the morning and be like, how are we going to get through this day? Going East um, is so much harder than going West. That's for sure. Um, So going over there tends to be much more difficult than traveling back because usually when we're traveling back, we're traveling during our daytime 
and then getting back towards the late afternoon, evening. At least that's how we've always experienced travel from to and from Europe. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a little bit daunting just to even think about it. So I'm probably just not going to think about it till we get there. And then <laughs> I might have to message you. And and I, like, yeah. I mean, I found like typically about, about a week I've heard, and I've heard like a day for every hour of time change. So that would make sense for like yeah. eight hour time change. It's about just over a week. So. And then for those listening to like something that Autumn said from the beginning is you need to start this when you can allocate like two weeks of consistency with sleep and, or like bedtime sleep and the first two naps, the third one, that's kind of like wherever. Right. Um, but for me, I was like, Oh gosh, like that's, that's a lot. Um, you know, because I think we're in the summertime and then just like finding a time where we weren't going to either have company or be traveling again is hard because we fly home and everyone wants to see us and we want to go hang out with our friends. And I think there's something that, you know, kind of stuck with me is like, well, you're making it a priority. Like you're making your sleep a priority and like, that's important. Your sleep's important. So I'm like, okay. So like, that's just stuck with me. And I mean, it hasn't been, it's been so hot here. So we've kind of been staying inside anyways, but I think that people are worried as well on top of just the traveling back, but just like putting it, putting the sleep training off because of life. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you say to people that are kind of living this life or everyone that's living or everyone that's listening, that's living this life that are kind of like scared to start because of just the circumstances of how our lives are. Sleep is something that like continuously with our kids, like has some ebbs and flows. Um, (laughs) I'm working with families. I request that they um, commit two weeks of prioritizing their child's sleep needs. Um, And that typically includes staying home for the single nap or the first two naps. If a child's on three naps a three nap schedule, um, or making sure for kids that aren't napping that they're home for an early bedtime. Um, but after those two weeks, that's when we, we find the flexibility and I like to recommend an 80, 20 rule. And so, and side note, I saw your um, story the other day that you like went out for Mm -hmm. ice cream or something and you're like 80, 20 rule, like later bedtime, but we're, you know, yeah. like we're consistent 80% of the time and yeah. the other 20%, like we can go do something like we're not glued to our house because we have kids. No. And I don't think people should be. Um, but it's still, it comes down to getting to know your particular child. Like maybe a family does have a super sensitive sleeper that that one night can really throw things off. And maybe that family has to decide to get a babysitter instead of, of doing the the night out. But for most kids, I find that once we've got these strong sleep habits in place, yeah, like doing, missing the occasional nap because you're going for a beach day or something, or you're doing a late night, it usually winds up okay. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and I don't want, I definitely don't want people to be like, oh my gosh, we've just spent all this time like working on this sleep and, and we're in a really good place. And I'm like super scared to mess it up. Um, because I, I do know, and I myself had like some, a little bit of anxiousness around that with, um, with my first baby in particular, 
yeah, I think it's, it's important still to like, to, to relax and just see, like, you'll never know um, how your child will handle a late night unless you try or how your child will handle being put down by a babysitter or anything like that, unless, unless you try. And then you can see, and it, and you can always make up for it too, in, in a way of like, okay, last night we had a really late bedtime. So you know what, tonight we're going to prioritize like a little slightly earlier bedtime to, to kind of repay some of that sleep debt. So it's, it's really just about trying to find that balance of prioritizing, like knowing that too, like we have children now and they do have sleep needs that might be different than our life preferences, but we'll do our best to like, to balance that with, with still like, I I would never want people to feel like they're stuck at home because saying no to everything Mm -hmm. or like they can never have a late night because they have a child because no, that's not how life should be. (laughs) Yeah. And especially in our life, it's like, well, you better get used to the adapt, like adapting to all these changes because we're constantly on the go. We're constantly moving. So yeah, I mean, just allowing some flexibility, at least like at the start, I think could ultimately benefit them rather than having such a rigid, you know, schedule rigid. No. Mm -mm. Yeah. And something else that I love that you do is that you really want to have the consultation with both parents. Cause I think like for me personally, I was a little bit daunted to sleep train. Cause I'm like, Oh, like I'm usually the one getting up with him in the night. I know a lot of moms can relate to that, especially if you're nursing, but I was like, Oh, like this is just going to be more stress on me, you know? And like, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to kind of do most of this. So I think like having Charlie there during the consultation, it was helpful to all get on the same page because there's certain aspects where we've had to like hold each other accountable. Yeah. I do think it's really helpful as well to as much as possible. I like to have both parents and even I worked with a family that had grandparents involved with a lot of the day to day and, and um, they didn't end up uh, taking me up on it, but I offered to like have the grandparents on the call as well. Um, Yeah. I just find it's definitely helpful to have everyone involved to kind of be on the same page for sure. Also, I would love for you to talk just a little bit about like, if you're breastfeeding, obviously, as you know, like I'm breastfeeding and before we started working together for those listening, um, and autumn obviously knows us already, but kind of what was happening is, uh, I was gonna say Charlie was sleeping in our room. <laughs> Crosby was still sleeping in our room. He's seven months old and we didn't have blackout blinds. So it was super bright in there. Pretty much would stay light out till like 10 30 at night. So I would put him down around se- between seven and eight. And before I would even get in bed, he was waking up like three to four times. So I'd have to go in there and have to try to sue them. Oftentimes I would just put him on the boom because I was like, you need to go back to sleep. Like this is my time to myself. And I'm now spending like at least an hour and a half of these wake ups trying to like get him to go back to sleep. So then like throughout the night he would wake up. I would usually like just bring him into bed with me because it was easy and it was convenient. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you're doing that and that works for you, that's great. And I actually really like cuddling with him, but what does not work for me is like him trying to latch onto my boob like five times a night when he is in bed. So I was like, something needs to change. I have to find a way to like find a little bit more balance with this because it's starting to become like frustrating 
and obviously I don't want to take any frustration out, like with my emotions on him, I guess like before I started talking to you when I was reading about the sleep training, I'm like, well, I can't nurse him at all. And I'm breastfeeding. So I'm like, how is that going to work? Because then like my supply is going to tank. And I like that in my plan, I'm able to feed him twice a night. So like, is there any advice that you would say to other moms who are also breastfeeding and need to breastfeed through the night to keep their supply up on like ways that they can, uh, work on sleep while still breastfeeding? Yeah. Um, and I just want to like, give a little disclaimer that, um, you should always like consult with your pediatrician before dropping night feeds. Like I, it is totally possible to, and Crosby's like proof of it here that you can have like a strong independent sleeper while maintaining those night feeds. I am not like, would never want someone to think that they have to drop night feeds. It's absolutely nutritionally, it can be completely normal for babies to need at least a night feed up until nine months. And it can be normal for parents to want to maintain a night feed or more for that first year or longer. And that's okay. So you can absolutely work on independent sleep if that's what you want to do while maintaining night feeds. Yes, absolutely not. You do not have to um, night wean in order to sleep train if if that's what a, a family wants to do. Um, yeah, no, those are not mutually like that's not something that you have to do. Yeah. And something that was like huge for me, which honestly, I didn't even like he was still in my room. And at the end of the day, I look at that. I'm like, I was kind of doing that for me. Like, he does not need to be in my room. I think I was, and that's my own experience. That's my own opinion. I'm not saying like, if your kid is still sleeping in your room at a year and that works for you, that's fine. Or three or four, it's fine. Right. Exactly. Yes. But like, for me, I was like, I'm just sad. Cause it's kind of like the end of a, it's the end of an era, but it's like mm-hmm. the end of a chapter. It's like, he's been in my bedroom for the last seven months. There's like part of me that was sad to put him in his own room But at the same time, I knew that that was better for him. And it's shown, A, because we put those like cardboard boxes up in our window. So it makes the room dark. So he's not waking up after I put him down until we get into bed. But also like when we would come to bed, he would wake up because he would hear us getting ready for bed. And then that was also like real talk causing problems between Charlie and I, because I was like crazy when Charlie would come in the room with like his flashlight on his phone, like shining it, trying to get stuff. And it's like the lights, like going across the room. And like, I can hear like Crosby stirring. And then he's, you know, like my husband's being too loud and like, and then it causes stress on me. And then like, it's just, it causes problems. So at least for us. So then once we moved him out, he's pretty much sleeping great because he like has his own room. He's not getting disrupted by us. It's dark in there. Um, so those two things moving him and like making the room dark were huge for us. Yeah. Yeah. That environment can be, can be really helpful. Um, for sure. I don't ever want someone to 
listen to this podcast or listen to anything about sleep training and feel like they have to sleep train. Like, no, you don't have to, if you don't want to, um, if it doesn't feel right to you, that's absolutely okay. Um, it's an option for people that want to, but I also find that on the other side of the coin, people feel that have zero desire to sleep train, feel such pressure because if they, heaven forbid, decide to complain about the lack of sleep that they got, the answer that they hear is, well, you should sleep train. No, you should do whatever feels right for your family. And I just want to to make sure that we discuss that side of it too, because I don't want anyone to ever feel like pressure to sleep train. No, it should be a decision that you and your partner come to on your own and for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. all reasons are valid. Um, But also not wanting to sleep train is a okay. Um, Yeah, for sure. I just want to know, make sure that that message is sent as well. No, I love that you said that. And I think like, I, I find like, even during this conversation, I'm kind of like trying to like pick how I'm saying things the right way, because I don't want people to be like, uh, feeling like, like they have to do this because I'm saying, well, but I'm truly relating. Like I'm going through this. I'm working with you. Our family has made a choice to work with you because something's not working for us. And I think that's like the takeaway is like, if some, if it's no longer working for you and you want to do this, then that's a personal decision. So like, no one is ever saying that, like, you have to do this or like, this is the right way to do this. I think you can, if it resonates with you, great. If you disagree, great. Um, but I, hopefully everyone that's listening will just like keep an open mind. Um, you know, if they want to, if they're looking for, you know, tips to improve the sleep in the family. It can be, unfortunately, for some reason, the way we feed our babies and the way our babies sleep tends to be super talked about and um, can veer towards somehow controversial. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just still, like, I just think it's so important for every family to decide what works for them and what works for their child. Um, and whether that's sleep training and independent sleep or, or having a family bed, um, or having no schedule whatsoever, like that's okay. It's you're damned. If you do, you're damned. If you don't like people express judgment on people that sleep train and people express judgment on people that don't. So it's like, you just have to do what's best for you. hundred percent. It's hard because as moms, we want to talk, we want to relate, we want to bend. Um, but it can also be a place where we all parent differently and that's okay. Different strokes, mm-hmm. different folks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there was a few questions that people wanted to ask of you. And I know you mentioned that you love working with toddlers and older kids. Um, one of the questions was, do you have any advice for keeping toddlers in their own bed? Um, and then actually these two kind of tying together because someone else asked, how do I keep my three-year-old to stay in his own bed and not have to lay down with him or end up in our bed in the middle of the night? So I guess, yeah, we'll start with that. 
you have any advice for them? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So one was a three-year-old. I don't know the other toddler. My first uh, recommendation would be to hold on to the crib as long as we can, um, as close to three as possible. Um, of course, if they're climbing out, there are things we can do to try to deter climbing. But if they're continuously climbing, then then it becomes a safety issue. And of course, we should um, transition them to a bed. It sounds super hokey, but one of my favorite things to do is to start with a family meeting to talk about sleep, to kind of just talk about why it's important and talk about the new like expectations around sleep and to tell your child like during the daytime, not near sleep time, what you'll do if, if they get out of their bed, um, whether that's walk them back. Yeah. So we'd start with like a family meeting for sure. And, and discuss it with your child and role play during the day of these new expectations. Like, okay, show me what you're going to do when mommy says goodnight practice, like breaking the rules. Okay. If your body forgets to stay in bed, like mommy's going to walk you back to bed without talking to you because I don't want to wake your body up. So we want to just consistently send, send a consistent message about what these new expectations are. Um, I also really like a bedtime pass for toddlers, um, which is basically you can make it with an old postcard or you can use any sort of symbolic item to act as a pass, like a get out of bed free pass. Um, and you can decide if they get one or if they get two. And that can be for anything, whether it's like a trip to the potty, an extra cuddle, like, oh, forgot to get my drink of water. So they get this one pass. And if they use it, then they give it to you. And the rule is that they have to stay in bed the rest of the night. And if they don't use it, maybe they can turn it in the next morning for a reward or <laughs> I love that. Um, That's cute. Yeah, there's actually quite a bit of evidence behind that one as being an effective tool for our parenting toolbox. But it's also important with toddlers to make sure that their timing of when they're going to bed is on point because when kids get overtired, they get a kick of cortisol and often get a second wind and it can feel like next to impossible to help them get to bed because often they either get super crabby or they start getting like hyper and wired. So taking a look at what time is bedtime, making sure it's early enough if they're napping, um, kind of looking at the daytime sleep needs. And then most importantly, it's like, you just have to stay consistent, like lovingly holding those boundaries. Like it's, it's our toddler's jobs to push boundaries. And it's our job to kind of like hold them and children trust, they develop like security and trust um, when we do what we said we would do. So if the rule was like, after you use your bedtime pass, um, if you get out of bed, mommy's going to walk you back. Well, then you walk them back and you do that as many times as it takes. Um, I like to say to like remove the audience and the show stops. So you want to keep it as like dull and boring and sleep-like when you're returning them to bed and constant role play and discussion during daytimes. Um, I'm also not opposed to like using a gate at the door, like a baby as kind of a visual reminder for, for children to be like, Hmm, maybe it'll make them pause before they decide to, to leave the room. But it's a mix of like discussing it during the day um, and then holding those boundaries at night. And there's something that you said that I want to go back to. I just wrote it down so I don't forget, but 
part two of that question, well, it's kind of just a statement, but a few weeks before the three-year-old started doing this, his baby sister was born. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of when she said like the sleep hit the fan. And before he had a whole routine and was a great sleeper and now it's a mess and she's just struggling with it. Um, which I think I hear from a lot of people is like, once you add that number two in, like your baby number one is no longer like the only baby. So it's definitely an adjustment. I don't know if you have any advice on that aspect. It's a huge adjustment. Um, their world gets rocked too, for sure. Yeah. I definitely encourage, I know it's hard with a newborn, but really maybe extending the bedtime routine, um, and having it like have a lot of connection, one-on-one connection. Yeah. The three-year-olds world got rocked. They've got this other, this other sibling who they will come to love, but it can be a difficult transition when they're not like number one, they don't feel like they're number one necessarily anymore. So as much connection as possible to fill that bucket for them. And then to expect that, yeah, they might need a little extra comforting during the night. It's a mix of providing that comfort and, and validating any feelings that they have around this new sibling while also holding the boundaries that you want to, to keep in place, but it can definitely be a challenging transition for sure. It would be really hard as a mom to know that you're, you know, kids feeling that way. And like, because then you have a new baby too. And it's like, you're kind of torn on like what to do. Yeah. I mean, and it helps too, when you're practicing these new boundaries with them during the day to tell them things that they can do when they're feeling like they want to leave the room, whether it's, they can pull their blankets up or snuggle their stuffies or roll over or take deep breaths. It can help not to just address like what you can't do, but here are things that you can do as well can be really helpful with those older ages. So going back to something that you said, and I don't know exactly what it was, but you said the word overtired. And then I remembered, I wanted to ask you this too, but I feel like there is such a fine line. And we talked about this when we chatted yesterday, but there's a fine line between being overtired and being undertired and like finding that line of like, when do they go down is like really hard. That's something that I'm always like, has he been awake for long enough? Like he's not really showing signs that he's tired, but also like, I know that if I, if he stays up like 10 to 15 more minutes, that could quite possibly like put him over the edge. So what are some signs to look for when your baby is ready to go down for a nap or for bed? For babies, there's a mix of before six months, um, I do like to keep an eye on wake windows. Um, and then after six months, I like to use times that are more in line with circadian rhythms um, and sleep pressure. Um, it's a little bit of watching the clock, yes, but also watching your baby and looking for those super subtle cues like staring off into space or zoning out a little bit or becoming quiet. Um, and then the, the more obvious ones tend to be like the yawning, getting fussy, rubbing the eyes, maybe pulling the ears. Um, but sometimes when we see those more obvious signs, we might already be entering overtiredness territory. Um, so, and it, it's hard, especially as, um, 
depending on temperament and age, uh, some children mask those signs better than others. So it's a little bit of trial and error of seeing how, how that nap goes based on the signs that you, the sleepy signs that you saw and about how much time had passed or what time it is on the clock. Um, it can be definitely a little bit of a trial and error, but yeah, those subtle signs include, yeah, staring off into space, kind of losing interest, maybe looking away from you a little bit more, less engagement, um, can be the initial signs of sleepiness. I know uh, like the other day when I told you he woke up from a nap at like just such an awkward time, 430. I'm like, oh, that's gonna, that's gonna set us to over, over when he should be going down by like 30 minutes. But I was scared to put him down earlier. And then you told me to not be scared about putting him down earlier. (laughs) And if I need to do that, then like, it shouldn't affect his sleep. Will you just talk a little bit about like early bedtimes? Yeah. Um, a secret weapon. (laughs) Um, but it's a scary one for us as parents, for sure. What we see is that the deeper, more restorative stages of sleep happen in the first half of the night, um, in that time between six and midnight ish. So if there was a day where naps were a little bit short or skipped or on the go, it's parents should not be afraid to bump bedtime up by 15, 30 minutes, again, watching for those sleepy signs as well. Um, But if we can protect overnight sleep by getting it started a little bit earlier, we're more likely to see a more restful night. And we're also most typically, um, children end up sleeping into their normal wake time, whatever, whether that's six, six thirty-seven, um, which is sounds early, but for a lot of kids, it's a biologically totally appropriate wake up is between six and seven. Um, and if we miss that and we kind of push that with younger babies that are on the three naps, that, that last wake, wake window can be a bit sensitive. Again, it's, it's one of those weird things that when they're overtired and they get that cortisol in their system, we, it usually leads to more frequent night wakings, Mm -hmm. um, earlier morning wake-ups are super common, uh, when kids go to bed too late. Um, so it's one of those things that it's like, it's not logical, but it's biological and that early bedtime can be super helpful for parents for sure. Yeah. Well, and that just goes back to like, what happened is that I stretched it too long and then he woke up at nine 45 and was upset for a while, you know? So it's like, I was scared to put him down early and fear that he would wake me up at like 5am for the day. (laughs) But like at the end of the day, it probably would have actually been better if I did that instead. But yeah, it's just interesting, like learning about all this stuff, because I guess you would think it would go that way, but in fact, it actually wouldn't. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can totally relate. I was always super fearful of an early bedtime. I was like, both of my kids tend to wake up around seven. Um, and I was like, I can't put them to bed earlier. I don't like, I don't want them getting up at <laughs> five thirty because of an early bedtime or six or six 30. Um, and most often, 
it's not meant to be like a regular thing, but it's, it can be really helpful if for some reason the daytime sleep needs weren't met that day. And even with like a kid that, um, a child that's transitioning from naps, or maybe if a child is going from one nap to no nap at all, like that is a long stretch for a toddler to handle. So it's really important then to bump up bedtime um, in those in those transition periods for sure to kind of cut the difference between the fact that they, although they were ready for it, they still lost an entire sleep period. Um, and mm-hmm. they often make up for it a little bit then in the night. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing about your business. And if someone wants to reach out to you for like a sleep consultation, or if they have a question, where can they find you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, my business name is called rest, grow, thrive. Um, and on Instagram, I am at rest, grow, thrive. Um, and my website is restgrowthrive.com. So right on the website, there's before working with families, um, I always do an introductory call um, just to make sure that we look into maybe any medical issues that we need to rule out and to make sure that we're a good fit for one another. So they can just go to the website and book an intro call if they're interested in talking more with me about what it's like to work together. Yeah. So the web between the website and Instagram. <laughs>